Live from the Star Worldwide Network Studios, it's time for Spirituality for Everyday Living with Melinda Vale. As the medium who makes a difference, Melinda and her guests discuss practical spirituality and how it makes an impact on our everyday lives. And now, here's your hostess, Melinda Vale. Welcome to Spirituality for Everyday Living. Oh my gosh, you guys, I am so happy to have this lady with me. What a special treat. I have from ASU, and you are the Chief Culture Officer at Arizona State University and Enterprise Technology and President of Innovation Partners International of the Southwest. What a mouthful. What a mouthful, <laughs> Christine. Christine Whitney Sanchez. Welcome Thank to you. Spirituality for Everyday Thank Living. Thank you so much, Belinda. Uh, you are such an accomplished lady. Oh. You have uh, an amazing uh, a bunch of credentials here mm. that I'm just going to cover from it. You're a okay. psychotherapist. That's uh, my background. And you do sociology. That's, that's my degree. My undergrad degree was in sociology. I have a master's in counseling. And I did that for about 25 years and then began doing um, organization development consulting mm-hmm. and did that all around the world. Oh, wow. That sounds fantastic. It, it was so much fun. And how did you end up at ASU? I was consulting to several different parts of the university, and one in particular, uh, the Enterprise Technology, as we call it now, uh, and Lev Gonick, who is the chief culture officer there, mm-hmm. uh, just by surprise invited me in and uh, said, let's see what we can create because it's the human side of all the digital transformation that's the most important thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know so important in today's world with technology to have the human side still be present. Mm -hmm. And so what does a culture officer exactly do? Do. (laughs) I began really by bringing a lot of the things that I had learned as both a therapist and also as a consultant, uh, that my uh, experience is that if you involve people from the beginning and invite anyone who cares to participate, They'll come along with you, and people tend to commit to what they help to create. Mm -hmm, For sure. And so these uh, wonderful folks in the technology realm, uh, and by the way, I'm not a technologist, so it took me a little while just to even get all the acronyms. In fact, I don't still to this day have them all. Even saying it was hard for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... um, I really did start by inviting a bunch of people. I said, whoever wants to come and start designing this culture, come on in. Mm-hmm. We did that. And eventually that turned into a community of practice, which is still going. Mm-hmm. And about half the organization has been participating in that. Um, so that's just one element. We're, we've done a lot of work in, in the realms of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Mm-hmm. Because as you may know, the it, both in the higher ed uh, realm as well as the technology realm. So now we've got both of those paired together here Mm -hmm. at Enterprise Technology. Um, It's not very diverse. It's just been, you know, pretty much white men, Mm -hmm. kind of if you think of Silicon Valley. How do you encourage that diversity? I I have someone that I know whose daughter is starting in eighth grade was a great coder. Oh, yeah. uh, And I think coding is part of technology. Yes, it it is. And, you know, this kid was like a whiz kid on coding. Mm. And so she was invited everywhere because she was young, she was female, she was innovative, right. and she knew her stuff. 
and she would be the only girl mm -hmm. in all these, you know, with all these invitations to different schools and so on. So how do we encourage girls and and people of color, and, and how do we get more diversity involved in technology? One of the things I believe about culture, in addition to the people in the organization, the, the purpose of the organization, the principles that you live by, um, is that there are enabling or not structures within mm -hmm. the system that you need to build in. And so one of the things that we've done, we have a, an initiative called Pathways to Belonging. Mm -hmm. So diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, they all are kind of together, mm -hmm. um, but you don't uh, stop just by bringing people in. You have to also be thinking about how do you create a culture where everyone mm -hmm. can feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. So encouraging uh, women and people of color has been a very deliberate thing on our part, at starting right with the hiring process mm -hmm. and uh, going on through to onboarding them and making sure that they have a place there um, and really raising awareness, of course, because most of us don't are not conscious about our own biases. Absolutely. We are not. And that stems from childhood, yes? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, how we were raised so. and what... It's what, you all know, that programming. All <laughs> that programming. So mm -hmm. I am of a generation mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, we were beauticians or secretaries right. or teachers. Right. Or nurses. Or nurses. Right. But, you know, never anything. And, you know, mm -hmm. none of us had aspired to be rocket scientists. That's right. You know, that's right. for sure. Or how rare a female architect is in today's mm -hmm. world or... You know, how rare, uh, you know, engineering still is a male-dominated field. Even biomedical engineering is still somewhat, oh, very um, much so, yes. you know, dominated by men. So I think that we've got to start opening that up because, after all, that's what spirituality is, mm -hmm. is being inclusive and collaborative and allowing everybody to participate together in, in, in a singular focus, which is the, the betterment of mankind, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That's right. So... The, you know. the um, human-centered part of technology is very important to me and to all of us. And uh, we really are at a, a sort of inflection point now where we there's a difference between artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and augmented intelligence. So we want to be augmenting human intelligence, mm -hmm. not replacing it. Mm -hmm. And so our emphasis a lot is on, you know, wake up and, and be conscious about what you're coding, what you're creating, what yes. are the products you're developing. Are you building biases into that? Mm -hmm. um, are you making it possible to have access to that? So we have someone on our staff that is, is really great at uh, helping us notice, oh, we, we're using this kind of iconography, for instance, when mm -hmm. we're trying to put things in manuals, and there are a lot of people that can't perceive that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's being very intentional and trying to look at all the dimensions. Well, everything in life needs to be intentional in that way and having those values, I think. Mm -hmm. When you talk about augmentation rather than artificial intelligence, which is something that I am so unfamiliar with, mm -hmm. but when you say that, the you know, mm. bing, 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 a light right. bulb goes over my head. And, well, that makes perfect sense because we don't want to be, you know, in a science fiction movie in 100 years where uh, the computers are running us instead of us running them. You know? Exactly. You've really yeah. got it. Yeah. So if you and I can get it, that means other people can get it, For right? Sure, we're that's not my point, right? <laughs> yeah. I knew exactly what you were talking about. So interesting. Yeah. But how do you do that? How does somebody put those kinds of programs into play, like how you, you talked about how they program certain things. Is there a way to do that that 
make sense to say a person like me that doesn't understand technology at all? Um, it's really a mindset, mm -hmm. I think, and okay. and back to intentionality. So we have a guild at um, our organization that focuses on responsible innovation and staying in touch with the literature, noticing what's happening in the fields of technology. Um, there's, there's also another thing I'll pull in, which is um, we have folks that are creating amazing augmented reality kinds of products, mm -hmm. as well as um, ways for students, this part really excites me, ways for students to own their own credentials, own their transcripts, own mm -hmm. all the things that they've accomplished. I don't know about you, but when I try to go get my college transcripts, which I haven't tried to do for some time, mm -hmm. it was a nightmare, like mm -hmm. trying to get that, because it, it, at that Point, and it's still true for the most part across the country, the transcripts reside with the university or the institution. Mm -hmm. We're switching that. We're changing that. Oh, so it's, it's yeah. beginning to, there's this emphasis on the sovereignty, self-sovereign identity is what they talk about. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. You know, we should all be our own person mm -hmm. and not let anybody own any part of us, mm -hmm. yes? You know? Yes, exactly. And unfortunately, we're in a political environment right now where that's a big subject, right? It is. So how did you happen to get into psychology? yourself what made you as a young mm. person decide you wanted to get into this field well I've always been interested in other cultures and how people tick and very much interested in change and I honestly think when I think back on it I think it comes from all my years as a Girl Scout mm -hmm. because we were uh, Girl Scouts is really a leadership organization mm -hmm. and we were from the get-go from being a little kid and I've got grand kids and girl, grand girls in, in Girl Scouts now, um, we were taught that we are here to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. You know, that's their mission. Mm -hmm. And so from that time on until I started studying and trying to figure out what my sort of academic life was going to be like, um, I just followed my nose and it's what was interesting to me. By the time I got um, out of school with my undergrad and started working out in the field a little bit, I, I began to notice that I had a real affinity for working with people on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't even know where to go, but a friend of mine said, hey, read this book, and if you like it, maybe you should go back to grad school, which is what I did. Oh, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. You know, there is an old saying in Girl Scouts, make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver and the other is uh, gold. I love Remember that you know that? that. Oh, I certainly do. My grandgirls are, are singing yes, that indeed. right now. Yes, I do remember yeah. that. Where did you go to school? Um, I went to Madison One, uh, Madison Number One Elementary School. Mm -hmm. I went to Camelback High School. Oh, you're a, you're a native. I am an almost a native. Almost we came out native. here when I was a kid. Uh huh. Then I went to uh, Texas Christian for a year and went. To, I graduated with my undergrad in the at the University of Hawaii in, oh, in Manoa. Oh, you spent some time in mm -hmm. Hawaii. That, that was. Now, Quite that must have been interesting for you mm -hmm. since there's a lot of blending cultures in Hawaii. Very, you got it. That's yeah, exactly there, right. You know, there are so many blending cultures in Hawaii, not mm -hmm. just the native Hawaiians, but the Japanese culture and, the, you know, uh, Filipino culture and, all, you know, uh, what is it? Um, there's all kinds of mm, Micronesian, Melanesian. The island there that, that, that is so cool with so many people that come into to Hawaii, and they, they're, they're usually big football players. <laughs> <laughs> Are you thinking about Samoa? Am I, that's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things I learned was don't, because people seem to look the same mm -hmm. physically, mm -hmm. don't mistake them for the same culture. Mm -hmm. And so I uh, 
in the very beginning when I first moved there, had trouble um, discerning, you know, are you Japanese or Chinese? Are you? And what I learned, and which I still employ, is you really do need to ask people. If you want to if you want to understand what their background is, don't assume. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We do a lot of that. We do assuming a lot of that. Yeah. in all kinds of ways with each other mm-hmm. all the time, all not the just time. with cultural background, no. but with everything. We have all these assumptions. So you have your own spiritual life, um, yeah. and you work in your own, you know, within your own soul, spiritual mm-hmm. essence. And mm-hmm. I heard you tell a story about that necklace before we started. That yeah. it was that you went to Peru. Yeah, we went uh, to do a volunteer uh, trip. It's called Volunteer uh, Conservation Volunteers International. So mm-hmm. we went there to work, mm-hmm. and honestly, it was an amazing experience. Five days at Machu Picchu, basically pulling out weeds mm-hmm. for five days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there, Aguas Calientes, which is uh, uh, the little town that's closest to Machu Picchu, mm-hmm. um, hot water basically. So there's hot springs there. And I went and had a massage. And um, while I was on the table, I got this visualization. I couldn't tell what it was, but I knew there was a kind of void in the center, Mm -hmm. like a round void, and then rainbow colors kind of emanating from that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't know what it was, but I just, you know, tucked it away. And uh, when we finished with the massage, I went down the, the street and... There was a jewelry store. I walked in there, and there there was this Your piece right there. Yeah, yeah like I yeah, precognitively picked out my jewelry. <laughs> Interesting. Because it has the colors of the chakras, uh-huh. and, mm-hmm. you know, Deepak Chopra, for example, talks about meditation that you drop into the gap or the, mm-hmm. the void, mm-hmm. which looks mm-hmm. like a circle, and especially right. when you're transcendental meditation, you should drop into that gap mm-hmm. and still be receiving information without even recognizing that you are. So that's a pretty cool story. Thank and you. Uh, So where else have you been? Hawaii, Peru, and... Well, when I was consulting, um, I worked in Israel and the Netherlands and England and Latin America, Singapore. Um, it, I, I really mostly went places where they were ready for the kind of large-scale change that I was able to sort of impart. So I had a, a process called Methods for Strategic Collaboration, and mm-hmm. I taught that around the world. Wow. Well, you're a true transformer then, not the kind that, <laughs> that they show up. <laughs> yeah. um, but you're a transformer. You transform mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Tell me about teaching that. What is it exactly that does that entail to tra- you know, teach transformative energy that oh, way? Thank you. I, you know, um, coming out of, uh, of psychotherapy, so I was still practicing as a therapist when I, when I began to see that there was something coming into the field that we now call whole systems change or, or large-scale change, mm-hmm. like literally tapping into the collective intelligence. Mm-hmm. So there's a field of energy that is very available if you can just have some basic structures that help people to have the conversations they need to have and to elevate their thinking. Mm-hmm. So that really is what all these methods do. A bunch of different tools for people who are trying to connect I say ten or ten thousand. I did one uh, process with the Girl Scouts of the USA where we had ten thousand people in the room uh, working together to discern what their 
key qualities of the leader who was the most impactful to them had been. Mm-hmm. And this was back when the technology was right on the edge, but they, we, we were having them text. Mm-hmm. That was pretty funny, actually, because the older uh, Girl Scout volunteers were like texting. I don't know what texting <laughs> is. And, and we had this whole campaign to teach people how to text Interesting. so that when they got to the convention, they could text their results. And we could see it on the jumbotron. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. My grandson says you can tell how old somebody is by how they text, I'm sure whether that's they're using true. their thumbs or their <laughs> one <laughs> chicken, finger at a time, chicken pecking it, yeah. right? Yeah. So, what was the most uh, interesting thing that you found out from that group as far as what leadership qualities they are drawn to? What it really was about connection. It mm-hmm. almost always is, and uh, I've done a lot of strategic planning too, as part of these methods. You know, getting great big groups of people together. And um, communication, relationships, any kind of human connection is very hard for most groups, mm-hmm. and it's also the most important thing. If you can, can help people learn how to do that, learn how to be together, learn how to really connect. Mm-hmm. I have a, a three-step, in my own mind, uh, sort of mantra, which is um, presence mm-hmm. is the first step for change. So being fully present in the moment, being able to really respond to everything that's going on mm-hmm. while staying in touch with yourself. So mm-hmm. that's no small thing, actually. Right, it's not, um, And then uh, once I'm present, connecting, when two or more people are really connecting, mm-hmm. something changes, mm-hmm. and now we can open Mm-hmm. to the larger field. Mm-hmm. And that's been my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the methodologies that I use, that's where we start is presence and connection. Mm-hmm. And then depending on where we need to go, that opening can be opening to the future, thinking about strategy for the future. It can be um, opening to what kind of product we need to develop. Right? It can be anything, really. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when you talk about it because I think to myself as a spiritual life coach, that's basically what I'm teaching people to do, is to be present and to connect. But first to themselves. So many people mm-hmm. are not connected to themselves. They mm-hmm. have no idea how other people perceive them. They have no idea who they really are. Mm-hmm. They're not present to themselves. They're dragging energy from the mm-hmm. past, you know, mm-hmm. usually from a trauma, creating right. the present, making the future with it without recognizing it. And I wonder if, if we had, like, a visual of how energy works. Like, if we... I can see people's auras, but if we could all see the energy of how people connect, it would be amazing to them, you know, because here we are connecting because I feel your warmth. I feel your dedication to Mm. what you do. I feel that it's still exciting to you and that it's something that is purposeful in your life. And it, and it, and it allows me to connect with you and to exchange that energy. And that's really what we need to do with each other over all kinds of things, mm-hmm. not just technology, or, mm-hmm. but with things that we disagree on, including the issues of diversity mm-hmm. or, you know, all the fear that people have right now about uh, gender issues mm-hmm. and all of those things. Mm-hmm. We really just need to get the heck out of ego, <laughs> right? And isn't all innovation and technology um, created in a field of fertile ground when mm. there's nothingness. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, I also think that that there is a purpose for our egos, um, and if if the ego can be in service mm-hmm. to higher intelligence, you know, I think of it that way anyway. That 
that there, if, if we think of our identity as the ego itself, now this is a model that came to me when I was practicing as a therapist, I think there are little parts of the ego that are either connected to each other or not. I call them egolets. Mm -hmm. And if they're connected to each other and know about each other, they can uh, resolve internal conflicts about what we're supposed to do or not do. Mm -hmm. um, beyond the ego system, though, is a, a much bigger self. Uh, some people call it higher self. Some higher people self. call it soul, soul, right? Yes. That part of us can actually witness what the ego is up to. Mm -hmm. And when, when we get better at that, then we can make decisions in the moment. Like, mm -hmm. oh, there I go again. You know, there's that ego taking me away, dragging absolutely, me off the, to do this other thing. Like everything else on this planet, including all emotions, it can be a positive or a negative. Yeah, yeah. Ego can be a positive. When it's overly positive or you're overly an ego, then mm -hmm. perhaps you're too prideful. Mm -hmm. um, but you certainly wouldn't shower, wash your hair, and, you know, wear deodorant if you had no ego, right? Like, it can be positive <laughs> yeah. in the simplest of ways. It can be positive. In intense ways, it can be positive. But it can also be, be negative, depending mm -hmm. on how you choose mm -hmm. to use it. And that's the beauty of, I guess, free will, is how we choose to use mm -hmm. what we've got, mm -hmm. right? And how the ego was developed. Do you believe that the ego is developed through nature or nurture or both? Both. Me too. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think the, this is from therapy land. Um, we, we know that there are temperamental variables that, that we can study in utero. Mm -hmm. That So children that are born more introverted or extroverted, for instance, quiet or, or more noisy, mm -hmm. those kinds of things tend to persist over time and in a person into, into adulthood. Uh, and the research is pretty compelling on that. And depending on the environment we're in and then the sort of surround that we have in our lives as children that doesn't just include family it's also of course the people that we hang around with and our teachers and all of the people that have been part of that growing up container mm -hmm. that we're in have a lot to do with the ego development too because they're reinforcing certain things or forbidding certain mm -hmm. parts of you to to come to life and and really people that that struggle with personality disorders had a big disruption in that time right, in their life. Right, right. The jar that we were all pickled in. <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting. In womb, uh, my mom, when she was pregnant for my sister Lisa, gained five pounds only. Um, Lisa wow. was a seven-pound baby. And in her adult life, Lisa struggled ha with an eating disorder. She was anorexic for quite a while. So uh -huh. she got some kind of message system in the womb right. about food. And a lot of times, you know, of course, Lisa knows this, so I'm not telling tales out of school. She's fine with me talking about yeah. it because she's done her work and she's done her therapy and she's got a very good attitude about everything. But it was interesting for her to go all the way back to the womb to look at that and what that meant to mm -hmm. her because we can get a lot of messages, even as you said in vitro, that we're not even aware that mm -hmm. we have gotten. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I, have been around a lot of young women who had pregnancies during COVID mm -hmm. and it was very worrisome to them. Mm -hmm. What was happening for that little baby as they, as they were growing, uh, when there's so much fear around. Mm -hmm. What do you think was the biggest, uh, punch in the gut for us as a, a whole society in the collective with COVID? I really think it was a very strong message. Hey, wake up. We're, mm -hmm. You're not in control, mm -hmm. and if you think you can can run everything yourself, you're mistaken. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think it, it did send a lot of fear through the human nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of a sudden we became a bunch of electrical live wires. <laughs> That's how it felt to me uh-huh. in my, my life coaching oh, world. yeah. You know, that all of a sudden now there was a lot of live wires and a lot of fear and people, of course, I'm in the grief business, talk to, mm-hmm. to the other side all the time. And now I've got people saying, was it my fault? Did I bring it home? Mm. I got it too. Why did he die and I didn't? Mm -hmm. Why did she die and I didn't? You know, why, you know, would he know or would she know that I was there in my thoughts because they wouldn't let me in the hospital? How could they die so lonely? Mm -hmm. And in the collective consciousness, I can't help but think it alters our consciousness Mm, in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. And as we stay present in the moment and and start getting back to that reconnection place where we need to be, we've got to keep in mind that maybe those things happen on this planet for us to reconnect, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to stop being in fear. And instead of engaging in the fear process, you know, kind of come together through the fear process so we can stop it from happening again. And mm-hmm. I, I think in, in your field of endeavor uh, that technology actually is a big deal when it comes it really to how we live our lives in or out of fear on the planet, right? Uh, yeah, I was really touched, amazed, blown away really by what happened. The, we went home on March 17th, and within about a week, those folks that work in educational technology, like how we deliver our education. They had pulled everybody at ASU. Hundred and we have 160 this year. Thousand students registered at ASU. So mm-hmm. then I think maybe it was 130 thousand people and faculty who many faculty weren't ready mm-hmm. or they didn't think they were ready. Mm-hmm. But they had to go to Zoom. They had to go to delivering in a whole different format. Oh yeah. And so uh, for people that are uh, naturally extroverted. That was uh, a little bit easier up front because they could be kind of on the screen, so to speak. Uh, it was really hard. And we had a, a time deciding whether we were going to encourage, certainly not mandate, but encourage people to go on camera all the time mm-hmm. because it's exhausting, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're an introvert. And we have mm-hmm. a lot of introverted folks in mm-hmm. the technology field. They're mm-hmm. very much needing that that space to feel safe. And mm-hmm. so... Yeah, we, we ended up leaving it up to everybody. And that what the everybody is is not just individuals, it's groups of people. So mm-hmm. teams would say, let's have, a, let's have a, an agreement that unless you've got some reason not to be on camera, that you'll be on camera. Mm-hmm. Or we'll do it half the meeting or whatever. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, in the beginning, my, um, my daughter and son-in-law were frontline workers. So they both oh, worked boy. at a hospital. So they sent their child over to our house because they didn't know what they were bringing home. Oh, so right. our grandchild was without his parents for three months. And one of the first things I did, we wouldn't have normally got a fifth grader a cell phone. But one of the first right. things I did was sit in a parking lot where a guy came back and forth to give him a cell phone. So he had the opportunity to call or FaceTime his parents yes. whenever he wanted oh, to. That was so so smart. technology saved him on that. Yeah. But boy, did Bill and I learn, we know nothing about <laughs> fifth grade math. <laughs> Oh, I bet. I mean, oh my gosh, we were trying to help him with school, and it was like I was trying to Zoom with clients. We were trying to help him with school. It was crazy <laughs> mm-hmm. time. But I learned that I can actually do hypnosis on Zoom. I bet. 
which was very interesting to me because as I've been a hypnotherapist for yeah. a long time and my expertise is uh, childhood trauma. Uh -huh. And I didn't think that I could do childhood trauma over Zoom, right. but I had people in the middle of their trauma. What was right. I going to do? Course. See in one year, two years, three years? We didn't know how right. it was going to last. So I said, let's try it. And found out we got it. So what do you think that is? Do you think that the energy that of that connection we were talking about a while ago is strong enough to transcend the physical and go into the virtual? Exactly. I exactly think that. And of course, I do readings uh, all right. over the country and all over the world, actually, and they're on Zoom. So I can still talk to somebody's loved one from the other side of the veil. Mm. But I might say to them, oh, uh, teddy bear. And they have a teddy bear uh, in on their bed in the house that we are Zooming from. And they're loved one will tell me that. So yes, oh, yeah. I do think we transcend in some form or fashion, energetically, third dimension, the way we view it. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what technology is, is transcending third mm -hmm. dimension in a certain mm -hmm. way. So if we can do that on a computer, I know we can do it with mm -hmm. our brains. Mm -hmm. We just don't know how yet. Yeah, I think, that, you know, the virtual reality thing, this is virtual reality because it's all being interpreted through our own brains mm -hmm. and nervous systems, right? Right, right. And Technology just extends that. It's it's really not uh, a new thing in a certain way, mm -hmm. but it's giving us tools so that we can have it be more rich and uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So your favorite part of the job is? Ooh, what a great question. I get to work with some of the smartest, most heartful people, which was a surprise to me, honestly. Mm -hmm. I had a preconception about folks in technology as being all in their heads all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say they're not super smart. They are so smart. Uh, and they are such good human beings. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that, that uh, I, the way I say it is, you know, they're like the Trojan horse because they're out there touching people, the people that work in desk side, for instance, and help people with their computer issues. Mm -hmm. um, they are directly extending something that is very heartful for them. They love it. They love what they're doing. They really love to help people. Mm -hmm. They're doing that, and the people that are receiving it have no, you know, are, are surprised often at how personable and how sensitive and um, open mm -hmm. to that connection mm -hmm. that they are. So the Trojan horse part is they go out throughout the whole entire university. Nobody would suspect, suspect that they're bringing their heart into mm -hmm. the work so much. Mm -hmm. I love that. Because go, going back to what we were talking about, ego versus soul or whatever, if you're, if you're just headful, then you're an ego. But if you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're heartful and headful, yeah. then you've got that balance That's that right. allows you to be able to connect in all kinds of ways, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think so. so. Out of all the countries that you have been to and all the different cultures that you mm -hmm. have viewed or studied, what is most fascinating or what is the coolest, neatest story that you have to tell us about your travels or mm. a different culture? Gosh, there really are so many. The one that came right up, though, was uh, when I was working in Singapore, I found out that when the country was formed, basically, and remember, it's essentially a dictatorship. Uh, but as my expat friend said to me at one point, um, sometimes democracy is overrated. <laughs> uh, they uh, very deliberately created a system. There were eight primary cultures there in Singapore, eight, eight different language systems, all of eight different religious systems. Mm -hmm. 
And they made um, – this is that, that enabling structure I was talking about earlier. They created a system where the housing, which is almost all public housing in Singapore, because I don't – have you been to Singapore? No, I haven't. It's, it's built straight up. It's a tiny little landmass. Mm-hmm. And so all the growth is up. Mm-hmm. And it's very expensive. And so most people live in some kind of public housing, even people that are doing quite well. And it was uh, mandated – that they had to have sort of the per capita representation of all eight groups in every public housing facility. Oh, interesting. So they live together. Mm-hmm. And then on the, as my friends over there said, and then on the weekends we go to our temple or we go to our church or we go wherever we would normally go and have that kind of cultural experience. Mm-hmm. But from the time a child is, you know, born, they are starting to interact with these other cultures. Interesting. Uh, and it's a very powerful mixture Oh, it is. It gives a whole new meaning to mm. like-mindedness, doesn't it? Uh-huh, it really does. You know, because that's that's unfortunately maybe where we have the biggest problems that we stick in a, cer- mm. a certain socioeconomic group and, mm. and don't, you know, kind of look beyond where we are yeah. to, to see what else is out there. Right. Yeah. What was it like for you in Holland and... Did you? I, you? You so read my mind, Melinda. <laughs> <laughs> That's right where I went. Um, I was working, I was teaching these methodologies um, at a conference that was held in a beautiful Catholic monastery. Mm-hmm. And it was right around Christmas time. And the um, choir, the a cappella choir, was practicing. So it's an ancient kind of a structure, all the big thick, thick walls, very cold. It was very cold. Mm-hmm. I was cold the whole time. Um, and I was I was just walking around because the participants had were having their dinner and I was just needing some space for mm-hmm. myself. So I was walking around uh, in the cathedral and here comes this music. Oh my God, it was so amazing. And to be, it felt like I was transported back in time, honestly, mm-hmm. because they were very much into what they were singing. They didn't even notice me. And uh, the the sound that was reverberating in that cathedral was oh, precious. Amazing. Yeah. Maybe music is really the universal language. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why Close Encounters with their technology do the dee 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 Yeah. I mean, maybe we should pay more attention to that. I kind of feel that there's an orchestration of musical energy in our body. And that when we have something off, whether it be mentally or physically, any kind of dis-ease, discomfort, whatever, it just means that one of the sections of your orchestra is off-key, and you have to figure out how to get it back mm-hmm. in sync with the rest of the band. That's beautiful. So that, and you're the, you're the only one that's leading. You're the maestro. So you're the only one that can make that difference. And even though doctors are important and everything, we have to make sure that we are using every tool within us and who we are at every level of ourselves in order to find the best way to orchestrate a healing within us. Mm. So the, the, Another piece from Singapore is um, Confucius started some of this, and then the Taoists have really brought it to life in today's world, I think, that it, uh, really well-being is all about harmony. Mm-hmm. So it goes right with what you're saying. Yeah, Absolutely. And again, I think that's what your job is, is to teach mm-hmm. harmony between the technological community oh, nice. and perhaps the rest of society so that it's orchestrated in such a way where it's not taking over, but it's really a contribution and an attribute rather than a detriment. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe what mm-hmm. your job mm-hmm. entails. Is yeah. that 
Yeah, I yeah. think that's a very nice way to put it. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you had uh, something in your life that has been an aha moment for your own spirit? Like, have you had something that you went, oh, that's uh, uh, like when you were young or anything along those lines that caused you to be the spiritual? I can tell, I can yeah. feel you as a yeah. spiritual individual. So, Well, I, I would, I don't know if it was a moment, but I know that in my uh, developmental journey, you know, becoming an adult, I had really rejected uh, the religion I was raised in because I, I it just never did fit for me. I didn't resonate with it. And so for a long time, I thought maybe oh, I'm just agnostic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I did start to have experiences that I couldn't explain mm-hmm. and things that were happening that I, I would might call now precognitive or this thing I was saying about the universe a minute ago, that started happening pretty quickly once I have started to notice the signals. Mm-hmm. And I have lots of them in my body and in my consciousness that mm-hmm. go off for me, sort of saying, mm-hmm. hey, pay attention. Pay attention. God will always talk to you. You know, I find it interesting. A lot of people will tell me, oh, I was agnostic, when I actually think that they were practicing omnism and did not Ooh. recognize Ooh, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because we, most people don't understand omnism is means that you there's basic truths in all major religions. So yeah. maybe you don't like this yeah. about yours, but it doesn't mean that you're right. You know, it's that is what I what I ended up seeking. Mm-hmm. There's a wonderful story. And I, I do tell it in the large scale work quite a bit because it, it seems apropos to me to what is happening at the university. So there's a mountain range and. Uh, villages all around the base of the mountain that are far enough apart that they don't even know that the other villages exist. Or maybe there's an itinerant that goes from one to the other, and they know there's something over there, but they don't know much about them. They all have their own uh, cosmologies, their own worldviews, and understanding of this world and others. And some of them stay right there and really develop in the deeper and deeper into their own religion, let's call it for now. Um, some of them start to climb that mountain. Mm-hmm. They just can't, you know, they want to seek. They want to find more. And the further up they go on the mountain, eventually they kind of meet up. And the people that are meeting up at this higher level are actually more connected with each other than they are with their villages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do see that happening. I think that's what's going on, or at least it's one of the things that's going on in the world today. I think it's, that's a very interesting story. You know what came popped into my head, though? It shows you what a grandma I am, is the Groods. Remember that Disney movie, <laughs> The Groods, where the, 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 the boy came and introduced to the cavemen not to run into their cave? Yeah, right. Remember that? Right. Interesting. Well, you know, Christine, we could just talk and talk and talk. I just love having you here today. Thank you. Really and fun. And if, if people want to know more about your program or more about what you're doing, how do they get a hold of you? It's, my name is a long one. I know that. In fact, it's been a long one for a long time. Mm-hmm. All my names have had 23 letters in them. Oh, wow. That's got to be For whatever reason it must yeah? be. Oh. Yeah. Um, it's christine.whitney.sanchez at asu.edu is my email address. Wonderful. And I would love to hear from people. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, and I look forward to having you on again, I hope. Oh, great. I'd love to, Melinda. So, thank you so much. My pleasure. We'll see you again. Okay.